midweek Bible study called Morning Glory. As you can see, I'm off again to my writer's retreat, and it's late at night, and I'm taking a break uh, from my writing to jump into the Word of God with you and share a message with you that will help you if you ever feel that you are in a trial or some type of situation where you are being pushed to your very limit whether it's a limit of your faith or a limit of endurance, one of those types of things where you say, God, I don't know if you're going to get me through this one. But in your heart, you have faith, but you're still perhaps wondering how the outcome is going to turn out. I want to share with you a story from the Bible that will give you faith and hope that no matter how hopeless in the natural your situation may be, God can do a miracle and can change it. Now, here's the thing. God not only can change your situation and deliver you from the trial that you would find yourself in, but He can do it in a way where it is completely done in one night. That is how dramatic God can deliver. So, I want to encourage you today that regardless of any trying situation, that you never, ever throw in the towel and that you hold composure and I'm when I say composure, I'm talking about Christian composure of character, Christian character, the nature of Christ, and that you hang with the Lord. And if you stay with the Lord, you'll always see that God will come through for you, even if it appears to be at the very last moment. Praise God. You might be thinking, Pastor Stephen, I feel like I'm hanging on to the end of the rope and the rope's about to run out. What am I supposed to do? Well, just tie a knot in the rope and hang on a little bit longer, stay in faith, and watch, because God will come through for you. Let's talk about this today. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 10. Uh, this is a, actually a very wonderful chapter. We don't have time, of course, to cover all of it. We'll just highlight a few things and work our way through it. If you have your Bibles, it would be beneficial to actually open them up and read along with me. We'll go through some of the small towns of Judah, maybe that you're not familiar with, and if you kind of see it on the printed page, it helps. Nevertheless, if you're driving and you cannot follow along uh, visually, uh, keep your eyes on the road, but keep your ears on the, the message. Praise God. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we go into Your Word, Your Word would be quickened by Your Spirit and come unto us, not just as a history lesson, not just as uh, a review of uh, past events or things like that, but Father, your Word is alive. Your Word is actually spirit. And so let your life, the life of your Word, even of your rhema Word, come into us today. We thank you for your deliverance power, that what you've done for your people, the nation of Israel, over and over, you're well able to do for us. You've delivered even your people throughout the church history uh, so often in the church era. And we thank you for your delivering power. We thank you that miracles are going to happen uh, to those that are listening and watching and, and taking heed to this message. We thank you not only for miracles of deliverance, but quick miracles, even miracles that unfold literally overnight. Now, Father, we give you praise. We worship you. We put all of our faith and hope and trust in you, as good old King Hezekiah did. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, speaking about uh, King Hezekiah and the great trial that came upon him as the king of Judah, uh, we can pick this up in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 24. Therefore, thus says the Lord, God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrian. 
He will strike you with a rod and lift up his staff against you in the manner of Egypt. So, the Lord is telling them, and he's also presenting himself as the Lord of hosts. That's Jehovah Tassaba. That's the Lord's military title as the captain of the angelic armies. And you'll certainly see some angelic activity uh, towards the, the end of the story. But the thing is, is that the king of Assyria is coming against the king of Judah. And that would be the good king Hezekiah. And the Lord is saying to not fear. Verse 25, For yet a very little while, and the indignation will cease, as will my anger in their destruction. So the Lord has actually uh, determined, predetermined that the nation of Assyria at this point in history, uh, under the leadership of King Sennacherib, would be a punishing device against Israel and particularly against Judah. Now, because of Judah's sin, God is going to use King Sennacherib to come down and uh, really, really put the heat on them. And not only is King Sennacherib of Assyria going to have the ability to just cut through the land like a knife through hot butter, he's also really dismantling any other type of empire or nation around him. So at this time, he's the king not just of Assyria, but really over what we would call the entire Middle East. He's unconquerable. He's unstoppable. And the truth be told, he's God's anointed. Now, the thing with the Assyrians, of course, being a Gentile people, uh, worshiping uh, false gods and so forth, and not really understanding that uh, Sennacherib and the great army of the Assyrians are really nothing more than a tool in the hands of God. And unfortunately, the Assyrians, God gave them an inch and they took a mile. And God wanted to use the Assyrians to uh, inflict difficulties upon His people in order that His people might repent of their horrible sins that, of which they were doing. Uh, we're, we're talking apostate uh, Judah. Now, of course, there was a remnant that were living holy, but the majority, I think we could probably safely, uh, safely say 90%, were in complete idolatry. Uh, in, a, in a lot of sin, a lot of problems. So, really, in a sense, Assyria was God's rod. It's, it even says that in the Scriptures, that it was the rod of God. But the Assyrian army went way too far. Uh, they, were, they were brutal, and they were an army that instilled a, a spirit of terror against their adversaries. Uh, there was one small nation on the bank of the Mesopotamian River that thought they could withstand the army of Sennacherib. And they said, we're not going to uh, pay homage to you anymore. In other words, we're not going to pay a yearly tax to you. We really think we're strong enough to overthrow you. And so King Sennacherib sent his army in there, and they, they conquered the city, and they took all of the leading men of the city out publicly in front of you know the city they, they had just conquered. They took all the men, took their clothes off, and flayed them alive. So we're talking an army that does not understand an element of compassion, of, uh, you know, that there's a peaceable surrender, but if you showed them any resistance, they would have no mercy on you. So if they gave you an opportunity to surrender, uh, you should either take it very, very quickly, or don't take it, but have a serious backup plan of deliverance because they don't play around. 
and uh, they are coming now against Jerusalem. And this is a fascinating story. Uh, one again, where you see God's people massively outnumbered, and from a natural perspective, everything is looking totally hopeless. And so this is the yoke of the Assyrians that often we read about the yoke being, uh, or the burden being removed and the yoke being destroyed. You have to understand in context, that is this powerful Assyrian army under the leadership of King Sennacherib coming down from Assyria. And they were a force to be reckoned with. At this time in history, they, they have by far the most advanced military that the world has ever seen. As a matter of fact, the world will never see a military this powerful again until this, uh, this group called the Romans rose up. But even the Romans took a lot of their knowledge of warfare from their studies of the Assyrian military because it, were, it was the Assyrians that were the first ones in military to build siege mounds against a city. It was also the Assyrians that were the first ones to actually have a full-time Army Corps of Engineers. Well, you think, well, Pastor Stephen, what does an army need a bunch of engineers for? Oh, well, King Sennacherib had his own group, and these men would come with him, and these men would stand back from afar and look at the city that they're about to make the uh, raid on, and the engineers could uh, basically engineer the best method of attack. They could look at your gates. They could think, oh, well, we can burn the gates down. Let's just shoot them with flaming arrows. Or they would think, no, let's engineer a tunnel underneath. We could collapse that area of the wall. That's the easiest way. Or they would engineer a mound, a siege mound, and uh, we just build a pile of dirt on the outside, and you have soldiers that are protected while they're building it, and the mound gets higher and higher and higher, and now your mound is just as high as the wall, and you cross over. Of course, there would be a, an intense battle at that point, but that's how you break through. But they had phenomenal battering rams. They had the best of the best. They were also the first formed military that had spikes on the bottom of their shoes. Uh, so they're not fighting in leather sandals. They are fighting in full military boots with spikes on the bottom. So now they can fight you anywhere, sand, rock, any kind of place like that. They've got traction. Uh, they have the leading weapons also. Their weapons were made of the hard, uh, hardest iron. So they're hitting other people with their inferior weapons. The other people, their weapons are breaking and shattering. Uh, and so they are more advanced on every single phase of their military. And guess what? They're coming against Jerusalem. Can you imagine what it would be like to be walled up inside of Jerusalem and an army is coming against you? that far outnumbers you. And not only that, they have smashed to uh, smithereens any opponent who has dared stand against them. <laughs> and they're on the move and they're coming to you. So uh, you can understand Hezekiah as the leader, as the king of Judah, uh, trying to keep the people in peace there in Jerusalem, trying to oversee the people, keep their faith up. And the whole time the army is getting closer and closer. But uh, here we have verse 26, and the Lord of hosts will stir up a scourge for him like the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. Well, that's referring to, uh, uh, to Gideon, his great victory. Again, another Israelite victory uh, when they were massively outnumbered by an opposing foe. As his rod was on the sea, so will he lift it up in the manner of Egypt. Again, God reminding them of how he delivered his people when the Egyptians uh, many years earlier were in hot pursuit. They came up to that uh, place where, you know, it was in, in, 
impassable situation, God opened up the Red Sea. They crossed over on dry ground and escaped, and then the Egyptians endeavoring to do so, but not having any faith. The wall of water crashed in on them, and they were all completely drowned. The army was destroyed. So God reminds them of that. And then we have verse 27, the classic verse, uh, which is often taught on. I've taught it many times myself. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder. Well, in context, whose burden? The burden of this king of Assyria that just was putting the heat on Judah. See, now Judah has already been paying a tax. They are already subjugated to the Assyrian Empire, which is very frustrating when uh, you, you, know, you, you make your money. You, uh, people have to pay a, uh, a government tax, a state tax. Now they've got to pay a tax to a foreign king who lives in a foreign land. Why? Because they are, they are oppressed. Well, you have to ask yourself, why is Judah oppressed? Why are they in such a miserable condition? It's very simple. Because of their, their sins and their rebellion against God, their rebellion against the Ten Commandments, their stubbornness, and that is why the heat is being put on them. Oh, it's my friends, it's a terrible price to live in sin. It is an awful dilemma you can find yourself in when you are not walking right with God. So Hezekiah, he's now the king of Judah, and uh, you know he's trying to do a good job. He's trying to reform the nation, and they're having a measure of revival. And so Hezekiah has risen up, and he's told, oh, King Sennacherib, we're not paying your tax anymore. And so Sennacherib is like, well, okay, well, I'll just come down there, and I'll just kill all of you. And you know Hezekiah is like, well, you know, come on, we're going to resist the best that we can. But nevertheless, this guy's coming. He's not happy. He's wiping out people left and right. Let's continue on. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be destroyed because of what? The anointing oil. Look, I, I really believe, my friends, there's an anointing of God to deliver any, anybody from anything if they want out of it. And they're hungry, and they're willing to turn to the Lord, humble themselves, turn from sin. Look, look, turning from your sin is not just an initial salvation experience. It's an ongoing experience of turning to God and turning away from the things of the flesh. When, I, when I'm talking about the flesh, I'm not talking about your physical body. I'm talking about the fallen nature, the nature of sin that still remains in your body. Now, when we go to be with the Lord, we'll get glorified bodies. But, uh, and you will no longer have a, and these, urges, these uh, urges that rise up in your flesh to sin. That will be gone forever. But for right now, you really need to resist the flesh. You need to walk in the Spirit. And that's the whole key. If you will walk in the Spirit, you will absolutely not fulfill the lust or the cravings of the flesh. You won't do it. But you have to walk in the Spirit. Glory to God. And so I really want to encourage you to do that because nobody wants to go into captivity. Nobody wants to um, uh, be punished, how can we say, with the rod of God. You want to serve the Lord and walk with Him. You don't want to get over on the enemy's turf. And now God loves you so much He has to allow you to go through horrible things because He's trying to wake you up. God would rather try to wake you up instead of you just walk off and leave Him Cling to your sin and then perish in your sins and be separated from God. Go to hell. God doesn't want you to perish. God wants you to live for Him. Praise God. But Judah is going through a severe correction because of their sins. Even with the great king who has initiated a revival, there's still a lot of sin in the camp. And many people 
uh, they're just not really into the Lord. So the army of the Assyrians are marching. Now this is what it says concerning that army. Verse 28, he has come to Aoth. Now let's go from town to town. That's what the prophet Isaiah is going to do. He's going to take you from little town to little town. The Assyrian army is going through each one of these towns, conquering as they go. And they are being very brutal along the way. He has come to Aoth. Oh my goodness, Aoth. Uh-oh. Uh, that, that's only about 15 miles uh, from Jerusalem. What does that mean? That, that means everybody in Jerusalem knows he's getting closer. You, you, you read this slowly, beginning in verse 28 of Isaiah chapter, uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 10. You, can feel, you could feel the pressure that they must have been under, all fortified up in Jerusalem. He has come to Aoth. He's getting closer. He has passed Migron. Oh, now getting closer to Jerusalem. At Michmash, he has attended to his equipment. Oh yeah, let's sharpen the spears, sharpen the swords. Let's get all of these arrows ready. We're going to unload hundreds of thousands of arrows against Jerusalem. Uh, everything is being uh, very, very well laid out by the prophet Isaiah, depicting the march of the Assyrian army towards Jerusalem, going through town by town. And by, they're capturing these towns. They're taking over these towns. These are the, these are the little villages of Judah that surround the, the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the mother city. If you did not live in Jerusalem and you lived in a smaller town, the smaller towns would, 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 would be called the, the daughters of Jerusalem. Okay, So those would be the small villages. Verse 29, they have gone along the ridge. They have taken up lodging at Geba. Okay, so they're getting very close now. Ramah is afraid. Okay, another town, Israelite town. They're afraid. Yep, they know they know that there's no way they can hold out. It's impossible. Gibeah of Saul has fled. You, you have people that are actually fleeing the country, leaving, because they know they can't, they can't hold out. Ramah is afraid. Gibeah of Saul has fled. Lift up your voice, O daughter of Galim. All these little villages were completely taken over by the Assyrian army. You know, King Hezekiah uh, was a great king, but even the pressure got to him, and he uh, and, uh, you know, Isaiah, Isaiah talked to um, King Hezekiah about these things. You can read further about it, Isaiah chapter 22 particularly, where King Hezekiah began to trust in his own ability. And Isaiah the prophet said, do not do that. There's no way that we can basically win this in the natural. Put all of your faith, hope, and trust in the Lord. But, you know, King Hezekiah had a few weak moments. We don't criticize him because all in all he was a very righteous man. But he had some weak moments. He actually uh, turned to Pharaoh, uh, to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, you know what? Uh, come help me out. I'm in a real situation up here. By the way, Pharaoh, you should help me out because you're probably going to be next in line. <laughs> so, so Pharaoh sent his army uh, to try to uh, stop the Assyrians, and the Assyrian army just mowed them down. I mean, like a lawnmower going over some grass. Just cut them up to pieces, spit them up, and chewed them out. And I mean, obliterated Pharaoh's army. It was totally impossible. And Isaiah was like, you know, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, don't, don't do this. Don't try to get this outside help. This is beyond... This is beyond the ability of anybody to help. And, you know, Hezekiah also tried to get into this building program. Let's, let's fortify the walls of Jerusalem. And he, 
you know, there, was, there were some springs that were outside of the city walls. And he said, look, let's not let them have water. Let's, let's try to get that also walled up and protected and let's run it underground. And so he was doing all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, he, he's trying to do what he can in the natural. But really from the natural, they, there's no way they could stand against what's coming. And that was the thing Isaiah kept trying to get across to the king and get across to the people. Put all of your faith, put all of your trust in the Lord. This thing is beyond you. Uh, and, and so stop trying to do these gimmicks and try to do this stuff and just humble yourself. Turn from all of your sin. Turn your heart to the Lord. Keep the commandments and let's trust the Lord. And so the whole time Isaiah is encouraging them, guess what's happening? The army is still continuing to march. They're getting closer and co closer. They actually got to the city of Lachish. And uh, Lachish at that time was the second largest city in all of Judah, second only to Jerusalem. And Lachish put up a really good fight because they, they were well fortified. And, you know, they knew that the Assyrians were coming. So the men had really prepared the best they could. And they held out for a little while, but the Assyrian army was just too strong. And they built a siege mound. And the, the mound went all the way up to the top of the walls of the city of Lachish. They were able to breach the city. They broke in. And what they did is they took the leaders, the Assyrian uh, military, they took the leaders, the Jewish leaders of the city of Lachish, Israel, and they took them out in front of all the people and impaled them on spears, okay? Rammed the spear through them, stuck the spear in the ground, and let everybody look at their impaled leaders. And so the Assyrians were, were rough. They even, uh, there, there was a cave about uh, 300 yards away from Lachish, and they, uh, archaeologists, found over 1,500 skeletal remains. Those were the people that were killed in the city of Lachish who thought, well, we'll be strong enough to resist uh, Sennacherib when he shows up. Well, they weren't. They were, they were completely run over. And, uh, and so that army is still moving, getting close. No, look, nobody has been able to stop uh, Sennacherib. Nobody. And in one sense, God's hand is on his life as a rod of correction, as a rod of punishment to his adversaries, but also as a rod of correction even to his own people. So, uh, you know, they're getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. As they get closer, uh, King Sennacherib even sends a delegation of, of, how can we say, orators to go and speak to the leaders of Jerusalem. And as you uh, may have read Isaiah chapter 37, you see that the Rabshakeh, uh, what a name, huh? The Assyrian spokesman. He was very fluent in many different languages. He could speak Hebrew. And the Rabshakeh began to go out there within a safe distance outside of the walls of Jerusalem. But he had his, his professional bodyguard with him and he had some representatives with him. And on behalf of the king of Assyria, the Rabshakeh began to speak to the men on the wall and the Jewish leaders on the wall of Jerusalem. And he began to blaspheme the God of Israel. And he began to say, we have destroyed every surrounding nation. What, what happened to their gods that they trusted in? We have destroyed all of Judah's surrounding villages and other cities. We've wiped out Lachish. How come your God, if you trust in your God, how come your God didn't deliver you? And he began to blaspheme and rail against Jehovah God. And this, this reached a point where King Hezekiah went and just ripped and tore his garment. And he, 
told the prophet Isaiah what the, what the Rabshakeh has said, and then it was, it was Isaiah under mighty, mighty anointing of the Spirit who said and who prophesied that the king of, of Assyria, the Sennacherib, he will not step foot in Jerusalem. Now, now, now remember, they're getting close. They're within three miles of Jerusalem. And Isaiah prophesied, he will not step foot in Jerusalem, nor will an arrow be fired upon the city. And you're, I, can you imagine had to have a prophet say something so diametrically opposed to your current situation? Either he has truly heard from God, or we've got the most wacko prophecy we've ever heard before. This would have to go down as one of the most amazing prophecies. There, there's a few in the Bible where the word of the Lord comes forth so completely opposite saying what's going to happen as compared to what people are anticipating that's going to happen. Did you know that there in Jerusalem there were noblemen who actually tried to escape on horses and surrender thinking we might as well give up? There's no chance. They've taken Lachish. They've taken all the other villages. They've wiped out nations. And there were noble people that's, that took all of their wealth, all their belongings, got on their horses, and left Jerusalem and went out and surrendered to the Assyrian army. Can you imagine how stupid they must have felt later when they go off in the captivity while Jerusalem ends up getting delivered? Mm -mm -mm. My friends, don't you ever bail out on God. Bail out on the devil. Hallelujah. If you're going to rebel, rebel against the devil. <laughs> All right? Don't ever, ever bail out on God. If you hang with Him, no matter what you're going through, and keep your trust in Him, He is undefeatable. Nobody can take Him out. But you're going to have to stay with Him. There were even people that stayed in Jerusalem. And I, I tell you what, Jeremiah blistered them with a the prophecy. There were people that actually stayed in, in Jerusalem and said, well, it's so certain that we're going to die. We might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Remember the quote? That's actually used in the New Testament. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. They were so certain that they were going to die, they got into gluttony, they got drunk, they figured we're going to be dead in just a few days. We might as well just gorge our fleshly appetite as much as possible. And I tell you what, that they, they received a prophecy that just um, scalding, scalding prophecy. And the Lord, I mean, the Lord was very, very hot about that. They also didn't know that they were going to be delivered. So there was a small group of um, very, very committed righteous people. And because of their righteousness, deliverance comes forth. And even the ungodly that were in the city, they got spared because of the righteous. But my friends, you need to live a holy life. If you walk close with the Lord and you walk in righteousness and you're pushing your way into the development of holiness, praise God. My friends, I tell you, God, will, He'll do miracles for you. Hallelujah. Let's find out what happened. Let's continue to read. It says, Cause it to be heard as far as Laish, O poor Anathoth. That's verse 30. Anathoth, too bad uh, you're going into captivity. They're showing up at your doorstep. Uh, Madmena has fled. The inhabitants of Gebam seek refuge. Look, Isaiah is giving city after city. The army is getting close. All of these cities are getting closer proximity to Jerusalem. Verse 32. 
as yet. He will remain at Nob. Who will remain? The king of Assyria and his mighty army. They will remain at Nob that day. He will shake his fist. They're so close. The king and the Rabshakeh and his generals, they're so close to Jerusalem, they can see it. They can see the city. They can hold up their fist and shake their fist and basically, basically say, tomorrow you're ours. <laughs> because you resisted us, we're going to make you another object lesson of terror for the others to, to know. Don't ever, don't ever try to stand up against us. But you know what? Mm, the arrogance and the pride of the king of Assyria is about to get shattered. As yet he will remain. See, he's going to remain at Nob. He will not go any further than Nob. And I really believe that God has a leash length where the devil can only go so far. And he's not allowed to go further. There's a certain proximity he's allowed, and he can't go past that. But my friends, I believe that your deliverance is at hand, and it's closer than what you may think. Because you may look at the natural and say, there's, there's no help coming from anywhere. The, the Pharaoh can't help. The Egyptians can't help. Nobody from, we have nobody from the outside who can help us. They've all been destroyed. Nobody can help us except for God. But He's all you need. That's what Isaiah was trying to tell Hezekiah. God is all you need. And that's what I want to tell you today. He's all you need. And even if the enemy is putting the heat on, and it looks like, hey, we can't go any further, just keep your trust in the Lord. Stay cool. And God will give you a word, just like He gave Isaiah. Hey, He may be over there. He'll never get one arrow fired. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but he will not come any further than Nob. By the way, Nob is so close to Jerusalem that many leading archaeologists believe that Nob is actually what is modern-day Mount Scopus. Of course, Mount Scopus is just a little bit below the Mount of Olives. But those of you that have been to Mount Scopus, maybe have stayed at the Dan Hotel, uh, Dan Jerusalem, uh, you know if you stay there, you're right in the heart of all the activity. You can just walk across the Kidron Valley, and you're, you're right there in Jerusalem itself. You can from there go to the Western Wall, go up on the Temple Mount, whatever you want to do. But, you know, I, I always like Mount Scopus because there's a really good coffee shop there called, what's it called, uh, The Aroma. Ooh, oh, such wonderful breakfast and fantastic coffee. Ooh, I can hardly wait to get back there again, praise God. But my friends, that's how close they got. They were literally on what we know as Mount Scopus. And so you can see, you can see the city. And it looks you can imagine the, the pressure. That's why when you read this slowly, you can feel the anxiety probably that was in the hearts of the people there in Jerusalem thinking, oh my goodness, we're next. And now there he is. Yep, they're finally here. So... Uh, Isaiah said, yet he will remain at Nob that day. He will shake his fist at the daughter of, at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. But you know what? Uh, it goes on to say he's going to be cut off and he will not advance any further. And, you know, you may want to take some time. Uh, it's 4th of July weekend. Maybe you have a day off. Just read Isaiah chapter 37 and then read chapter 38 and find out how God solved the, uh, the uh, dilemma of old King Sennacherib. What happened that night while that mighty army, the, the, the most advanced military that the world had ever seen, while they slept, their strongest men, their most able-bodied men, 185,000 of them were all killed in one night by one angel. God sent one angel and in the morning when people got up early, there's 185 dead bodies laying all over the place. And King Sennacherib had to pack everything up, 
He hauled everything back uh, to uh, Assyria. And by the way, the Assyrian capital of Nineveh is in what we know today as Iraq, in the very city of Mosul, M-O-S-U-L. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that you visit there. It's probably not a very safe place to go, <laughs> especially as an American. <laughs> In other words, big, big target for kidnapping. Hallelujah. Even if you love archaeology, you may want to snoop around somebody, somewhere else for your archaeological expeditions. Praise God. But my friends, uh, it was over with the very next day. And King Sennacherib never came back. And it actually, when he went back, the, the scriptures tell you that he was assassinated by his two sons. Um, there was a little bit of gap. He, uh, he was actually assassinated 20 years later. But the truth is, he was assassinated by his two sons, and he never came back. He was never a threat again to Judah. Oh, he still made a few verbal boasts of what he was going to come back and do, but he never came back and did anything. He's in hell now. Mm, my friends, don't ever give up on the Lord. If you will trust in the Lord, and just like King Hezekiah had a prophet in the background saying, come on, we're going to make it through this. God's with you. You know what? You need, you need prophetic encouragement. You need the gift of prophecy to be operating in your life. Uh, it doesn't mean you're a prophet if you have the gift of prophecy. But I tell you what, you need to be open to these gifts of the Spirit. They can really bring phenomenal, supernatural encourage, encouragement to your life. And so Hezekiah had Isaiah prophesying. When you've got prophets like that backing you up, I tell you what, you're going to make it through. So I just want to give a prophetic, uh, you know, up boost to you today through this story, through these words, and say, don't ever, don't ever uh, let go of your trust in the Lord. There is nobody that can defeat the Lord. He's too strong. And if you will stay with Him, there, there's a point where He will move on your behalf and He will deliver you. But if you bail out on the Lord, you'll never know. So just if you feel like you've been stretched to a point you can't take anymore, well, think about what they went through in Jerusalem. As Isaiah listed, town by town by town, each town getting closer proximity to Jerusalem, and he, you can feel the, the buildup, okay? Well, they went through the same thing. Others have gone through what you're going through. Hang in there. Trust the Lord. Praise the Lord day and night. Be in the Word day and night. Pray. Uh, you know, just do whatever it takes to build yourself up and be happy in the Lord. You're going to go through, and I believe that you're going to go through to a new dimension of blessing. I really believe that. Hallelujah. But, it, you know, that, that's why we have trials in life, to learn of the strength of God and so that we may mature in faith. If you don't have trials, you're never going to mature. Okay? So that's what allows you to experience the category of an overcomer. In order to be classified as an overcomer, you have to overcome something. I know technically because you are in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. But that, that needs to be something that you mature into experientially. Praise God. It's just like righteousness. Technically, because you are in Christ, you are the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of Christ, but you still need to live in a righteous way. Why? So it's not just technical, it's not just a position, but it's a reality of your actual behavior and conduct. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Press on. Your breakthrough could literally be in 12 hours. Glory to God. God could send one angel and the whole thing's over. The, you're free. The, the, the anointing has removed the burden and destroyed the yoke. Now, Father, I thank you that although your people aren't facing King Sennacherib, they are not facing a, 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 an Assyrian army, 
they are still nevertheless are facing challenges and trials. I pray for them today that they persevere in their faith, in their worship, Lord, in their devotion to you. And if they get upset at anybody, they get upset at the devil. If they rebel against anything, they rebel against the devil. And Lord, I pray that they cling to you. They cling to you like old, good old King Hezekiah did. And that even as Hezekiah left a legacy of righteousness and obedience and revival and reformation in the land, Father God, that your people watching, they also have that, that same legacy that they endured and they stood with you through all trials and they were a part of a revival. Now, Father, we give you praise. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's not leave today before we take communion together. Please grab some unleavened bread and some grape juice. We'll take uh, communion now at this time. Hallelujah. Father, we bless the bread and the juice. Oh, hallelujah. We thank you for the anointing, for deliverance and freedom. Somebody, you, all, all your debts are going to get dissolved. I don't know how all your debts are going to be completely removed out of your life. Somebody else, you don't have a job and you greatly need a job. God's going to help you get a job that's going to be the best job you've ever had in your life. Hallelujah. Somebody else, you, you, want, you need to get married. You want to get married. God's going to give you that wonderful spouse. Hallelujah. Christian, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, on fire, praying, uh, loving God spouse. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus. We receive the body now. We thank you that the anointing removes burdens and destroys every yoke. In Jesus' name, as you receive the body, receive his anointing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. It's mighty, mighty cleansing power. Mm. We thank you for your grace to live a holy life, to deny ungodliness. And we thank you for your strength, O oh God, hallelujah, through the blood, the shield, the protection, the blood upon the doorpost of our heart and the doorpost of our life. We give you praise, Father. We thank you for t protection from all forms of darkness and evil. We give you praise. We thank you that we are coming out. We thank you for mighty deliverance in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's receive the blood of Christ. Praise the Lord. God is giving you your heart's desires. Amen. Hallelujah. As you walk close to the Lord, He'll give you your very heart's desires. Praise the Lord. My friends, I'm going to jump back to writing, and I'm also going to be working on my next partner newsletter. If you are not signed up by, uh, by registering to get the newsletter, please do so. You can visit the ministry website. There on the homepage, there, there's a little slot where you can put your email address in. Submit that to us. Let us know you want to receive the monthly newsletter, and we'll make sure that you get it. It's going to be going out probably in about two days. Okay? So I'm praying for you. Stay blessed in the Lord. We'll talk to you again real soon. Bye-bye. For more information about the ministry of Apostle Stephen Brooks, visit our website at stephenbrooks.org.